We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Big victory at the Emirates over West Ham has the crowd chanting one Arsene Wenger and people wondering why on earth is the manager leaving now. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. I mean, Arsene has to be rethinking his decision as the crowd lustily cheered his name and begged for him to stay. Uh, it was really a special day at the Emirates, and we will dive into that, plus the impending doom of Atleti coming to the Emirates on Thursday. Here to uh, discuss all this and more is Tim. You can find him on Twitter. Gilberto, hello, Tim. Hello there. And Paul's on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Hello, Pause. Woohoo! Woohoo, indeed. Um, Tim, just quick start. So, uh, John Cross is really angry online. He is very uh, hashtag <laughs> mad online about the way Arsene Wenger was treated on Sunday. And I kind of want to get your objective view. I assume you're at the game. So, yeah. was the reception less supportive than you expected? Was the, the stadium less full than you expected? I, I kind of expected an outpouring of love and respect. Now, to be fair, I don't think it reached that level, but there certainly were no. chants of one Arsene Wenger throughout um, and, and yeah. pretty unified towards the end. So how would you kind of evaluate the sentiment at the ground and, and the energy and emotion of his announcement? Um, well, I, you know, it, it wasn't a cauldron, um, and I think it would take a while before the Emirates like comes up to that kind of standard again. But Well, the, uh, the occasion was... didn't call for that either, really. I mean, from a football exactly. Exactly. Um, I think you'll see that much more probably at the Burnley game. The Athletic game, I, I don't think that the focus will be so much on the manager, but there was a lot more energy in the stadium um, this weekend than there has been for a long time, and there were a lot more people in it. Um, how full it was, I mean, it, it was. I thought it was pretty full. Maybe, um, maybe my eyes are deceiving me a little bit because it's been so empty that, like, um, any empty seats kind of you know just like not many empty seats doesn't doesn't register very much but it was it was as full as it's been in a long time I think the weather helped that as well a little bit and um, it was funny actually a load of us were saying before the game that this has got a kind of end of season feel and um, but in a good way but not you know it is end of season there isn't much riding on this game but we were saying it's a bit like you know the sun's out almost like the pressure's off a little bit. And uh, it, it just felt almost like one of those last day of the season games where there's not much riding on it and you've had an OK season and, you know, people aren't foaming at the mouth and you've just got that one kind of relaxed game before it all finishes. It felt a little bit like that beforehand. And, uh, yeah, there were chants right from the off. And, and then after that, I think, to be honest, you know, the game just didn't, give people much to get excited about 
And so, you know, it, the, the same happens. It always happens. The atmosphere correlated with the game. In the last 10 minutes, when there were three goals, you know, people perked up a bit. Um, that's that's just the way it is, was and ever shall be for every single football team in Christendom. You know, when the team plays well and scores a few goals, then that that invigorates the crowd. So that's, you know, the, I, there was far less moaning and groaning as well. Um you know, usually you go off nil-nil at the Emirates, it's booing at half-time. And, um, you know, the the people that do that have completely eliminated the point of booing because when you do it all the time, it doesn't have any effects. Um, but the people that do it don't really seem to be smart enough to figure that out. What about the ones that are saying boo earns? <laughs> no. Well, they're fine. They're okay. fine. That's what I say anyway. I was um, saying so, boo <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, it started off, um, very well-meaning and there were chants about the manager straight away and then the, and then the game just didn't really deliver for a while and then when it did um, you know it got a bit more effusive again I, I don't I don't really see what the issue is you know, people are entitled to their, their opinion of whether it should have been more effusive I think that's fine but um, yeah so that, like some of the stuff that John wrote just plain wasn't true um, actually which is which is kind of disappointing because I don't think he really needed to do that to make his point which you know wouldn't have been you can make your been, point of of the appreciation and respect that the man deserves yeah. without having a go at the people who you somehow feel were not appropriately effusive in their support i mean yeah at the end of the and day he also yeah go ahead and he, he also said you know that there were no chance for the manager until it went to one nil which which is just absolutely untrue yeah I, that, that's how i experienced it as well and so i mean look it is what it is i i think it was appropriately respectful, and truthfully, I agree with you. I think that the Burnley game will be the outpouring of sentiment because that will be his final day in, in front of the Arsenal fans at the Emirates. Mm. So, you know, this this was sort of a, a dress rehearsal, if you will. Now, Paul, there, there were also probably things that I think left the fans scratching their heads a little, and, and the lineup would have been among them. So I guess... This depends on where you come down on the issue of fitness versus form. Sharpness versus fitness may, might be a better way to say that. How surprised were you that a player like Aubameyang, for example, was left on the bench and that he did start with a lot of the players that you would presume are, are in line to start on Thursday? Um, well, I was certainly surprised uh, that Aubameyang wasn't starting, but I wasn't upset by it. Uh, again, you know, given the, the benefit of the the debt to the manager uh, he was purely looking about how does he get his team pointed in the right direction for Thursday so he wanted to start with uh, Lacazette up front and Welbeck and a Wobie uh, because at least two of those three will be playing and if Ozil's fit great otherwise he would have started um, and he's he was putting out a team to kind of make sure it was aligned for Thursday and they've got four days and they've had a rest and he's more concerned that they're not sharp, that they come out, start a little cold on Thursday than they are tired or apparently injured. Unfortunately, we got one injured. So I wasn't too upset with the lineup. It wasn't quite what I expected, um, but I didn't really care if, if what I saw was a lineup that the manager believed allowed him to be in best position for next Thursday. Sure. And I think that was pretty much what that lineup was. Uh, even tactically, I didn't really care in that it's kind of like preseason in that he maybe didn't even play every player exactly where he'd want to play them on Thursday. He just wanted to make sure that overall the team is out there sharp and in large measure playing in a structure that probably relates to next Thursday. Sorry about that, Elliot. Yeah, well, and, and I mean, I, I think that uh, the, you have to kind of look at the performance they gave and wonder, is this the problem with playing players who are in line to play in a big, big game on Thursday, which is while it sort of gives you a chance to get them supposedly sharp and see if they're the right players to pick, they may also have the big game in the back of their mind and be holding something back a little bit, finding it hard to focus on the game in front of them when they know they have the game ahead of them. So, yeah, and maybe there was it, it a little that, bit of that. It is that dance, but but there was no way to get around that. You could have sent out a weaker team. Well, he could have, have heavily even... rotated and just trusted the players he was going to use on Thursday to be ready when the time came. Yeah, but 
but but but it would have been a half measure. He would have still have to have put out a bunch of them. I think. Yeah, I take your point. And and at the end of the day, he said, "All right, let's let's basically send out the team." Um, and yes, their minds will be on Thursday, and their minds will be on the Ar- one Arsene Wenger shit. But it was another. It was also a way of getting them past that and getting the game under their belt, playing together. And in the end, you could argue in the end it paid off. Obviously, there were four goals, two for Lacazette. Um, it's that's not the worst way to send Lacazette out on Thursday. It's sure. not the worst way to send the team out with a four-one win. So you could say, um, not the most beautiful or exciting performance, but maybe in the end it did the trick, and that's what sending them out does. Sure. Yeah. No. I, I don't. I don't really have a problem with it. I wouldn't say I passionately believe one or the other. I think that you know, obviously, El Nenny getting injured shows you the risk you take when you play guys you may need. Although I'm not convinced El Nenny would have started on Thursday. Although I think the the uh, Shaka El Nenny midfield axis was something that maybe he was auditioning for Thursday. But that you'd certainly want him on the bench over two legs, wouldn't you? I, I think the away leg in particular, if you want a little more control. I mean, we, we always talk about him as providing defensive solidity, and then go back to the point that his statistics don't seem to indicate that. But yeah, I, I take your point. Hey, Tim, and he gave, and he always gave the manager the interesting option to play to suddenly switch to a three mid-game without using a substitution, which that's might a be point. to your liking. Yeah, drop, drop him in between the, the central defenders and, and maybe yeah. you know just press weather the storm a little bit for a while. Um, Tim, one of the interesting things about this game, I thought, is in the absence of Mesut Ozil and with Shaka and Elneny in midfield, we got to see Aaron Ramsey play the 10, a role that I <clears throat> have always kind of thought maybe suits him better <clears throat> because it lets him get forward and concentrate on getting forward without having to worry about uh, abrogating his or abdicating his defensive responsibilities. And yet I thought for the first half of the game he struggled in that position. He's he's Mm. not really a playmaker, and I think we saw that, that when Mm. he's running into space and getting on the end of moves, he is really a special player. And I I do think he had a good game, but I think we saw the shortcomings in his game as a playmaker. So what was your evaluation of, of him playing that number 10 role? Um, a little bit half and half. I'm I'm actually not a huge fan of him in the ten role. I think he can do it. Um, I still think he's far better in the eight, kind of coming from deep, coming a little bit untracked. Um, you know, I I see him as more of a Lampard than a Gerard, if that makes sense. Um, you know, Gerard was a bit more kind of all action, all over the place. I'm just going to keep running after the ball. So if you've got someone like that, you might as well put them in the area of least responsibility, which is the 10. I don't think Ramsey's like that. I think Ramsey has a bit more structure than than people give him credit for. Um, and I also think he, he something he's certainly got gotten better at as well as picking his moments um, to go forward. Um, but yeah, I, I think that you're right. The fact that he's not hugely creative and we didn't really have much of a creative outlet, you know, Iwobi, who had a pretty poor game. Yeah, we'll Welbeck, come on to him. Who, he, he had a mayor. Welbeck's not a creator. Yeah, he's not an on-the-ball player. Yeah. yeah, he. I mean, Welbeck had a good game in terms of the positions he took up. But yeah, he's not a creator either. Um, you know, Xhaka and Elneny, uh, they're moderate value passers, but they're not creative. You know, that there wasn't really a, a creative outlet on the pitch. There wasn't and, a guy to know, play West, the final ball, yeah. No, exactly. And West Ham kind of congested the middle of the pitch. Um, one of the things that... Um, I think Adrian Clark picked up on in his breakdown, and I, I think it was really obvious anyway. And and this is where perhaps Ramsey does have a future in this role. He was intelligent enough. He he did a very um, Ozil-like thing in the second half in terms of whether he was told to by the manager or whether it was his own intuition. And I suppose that's the interesting bit as to whether he's got a natural aptitude for this role. He started to drift off towards the left, Um and and that's that's very um, Erzilian, uh to F- coin a finding phrase, the place you know. of of greatest impact. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, finding out where the space is and thinking, right, okay, I've spent forty five minutes banging my head against the brick wall in the centre. I'm just going to veer off slightly to the left and see what that gets me. And obviously, that's where the second goal came from. It's also where the fourth goal came from. He kind of drove to the byline and he was he was almost playing, you know, playing in that kind of half space, but almost playing as as a winger, which particularly when Aubameyang came on on the left-hand side, was actually fairly handy because Aubameyang is not, to my mind, a left-winger. And 
you know, understandably looked to vacate that space as often as possible because it's, it's not really where he's is most useful. So Ramsey kind of veering off towards the left worked for us a little bit. So I, I think it was like quite, I mean, he was still incredibly effective and had a good game. Um, I think it was a little bit mixed in that respect. And for me, whether he has, you know, a long-term future in that role, it that entirely depends to me on whether it was his decision or the manager's decision to go to the left. If it was his, I think that shows he has he's developing a natural aptitude for it. If it was just because the manager told him to, um, then I think it's slightly different. Well, and, and we do have a fairly expensive number 10 who's decent at it, so we may not need Ramsey yeah. to do it. Not to mention he may not even be here next season. So a lot of yeah. a lot of things wrapped up in that answer. But I, I take your point. And I think, look, Ramsey is the kind of player who you notice because he does so many things. So I don't want to make it sound mm. like he had a bad game because that would be a misrepresentation. I just think he did not have an effective game as a playmaker. Um, and mm. maybe being a little spoiled having Mesodozo play that role it, it's easy for anybody to not look particularly effective as a playmaker. Uh, Paul, before we come on to Alex Owobi's uh, nightmare of a performance, let's talk defense for a minute because I think this is the area that most worries us and most worries us going into the athletic tie. And, you know, even though they only got the one goal, I, I thought we were gifting them the kind of open spaces and opportunities that have become uh, synonymous with our season so far. And Arnautovic gave us a lot of problems and i actually think despite being a hideous cunt he is actually a pretty talented player but overall i mean did you see anything that gives you cause for optimism the way the back four played or or david ospina uh, no that's um, that's where i'm at so it's totally yeah. fine uh, and you know it's 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 just so hard to say where the problem is it's just it just seems to be uh, kind of lazy era arson and lazy era arsenal. Um, I mean, you would have thought going into this, I would have said, well, hang on, we got uh, uh, Chaka and El Nenny and Ramsey ahead of them. It's basically a midfield three. Uh, so that should give us some decent security in front of our back four. Uh, I like what Arson's doing here, at least from a security standpoint. So uh, we should, you know, we got Monreal and we got Bellerin. Two intelligent wing backs. Monreal always has his eyes open for when he should hang back if Bellerin's going forward. And Mustafi and Koscielny have uh, the best understanding of our centre backs. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I would say Ospina wasn't the reason we got ourselves into trouble. we could debate one of those situations. But Do you think you, know, you should have caught that, or, or is it okay to punch there, in your estimation? Um, I mean, if if you were to freeze it just after he punches it clear out of the box, you would have say, "Oh, okay, that's that's probably good enough." But um, I would have liked him to have punched it better to somewhere safer. Yeah. Um, you think you know. it's a tough situation to catch the ball? I mean, he does have an attacking player coming yeah. right at him, and you know. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, the boy can hit the ball quite hard, so. Uh, I understand why it was punched. So, okay. um, um, as far as Mustafi, I, I mean, he he continues to just struggle to play consistent, reliable defense. Now, I know he did have a tremendous intervention, a sliding tackle. Who was that on? Was it on Arnautovic? Do you guys remember? Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes, yeah it was. And I mean, it's a penalty if he doesn't get the ball. He feels he has to go to ground there. I guess maybe he does. He does, and he does it effectively. But he's only in that situation because he was out of position to begin with. Uh, Mustafi, you know, we've made this point before. His 10 out of 10 performances usually get a 10 out of 10 because he's making eye-catching interventions like that. But I think he also puts himself in situations where those interventions are required. So, Paul, I mean, overall, did you did you think Mustafi showed you anything that suggests he's getting the reins of defending back in his hands or no? I think the problem is that because Kishelny's still a little off, um, despite his yoga classes or whatever, um, you know, I bet he one looks of them great in Lululemon, though. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that the fact that Koscielny's a little off means you don't have that certainty that Koscielny's going to get there, that Koscielny's going to cover the break. And, and he didn't, for whatever reasons, Koscielny, where he's normally had players in his pocket, he, you know, we didn't have Arnautovic in our pocket at all. And therefore, it was very much a question, well, which one of us has got him? And I think Arnautovic did that very well. And that kind of opened the vulnerability. Um, 
and you know that's Gishelny's game. So if he's a little bit off on that, it just throws the whole back line into a bit of disarray. And we played a high line, and we kept getting beat. Um, so you know if Kishelny isn't quite fast enough, Mustafi certainly isn't quite fast enough. He's he's quick, but not that quick. Just makes weird um, decisions. You make- had one where he kind of like high kicked. Yeah. Well, do you guys remember the other one? It was like. He did sort of like a high kick attempt at a clearance with no one back covering for him. And the attacker was rushing in and he like tries to, instead of just like blocking off the attacker or, or defending, he just like tries to swipe at it with a high boot and got beat. I just, he makes these decisions that to me seem like lazy, reckless decisions instead of just the safe, sure footed defensive move that, that you would expect a, an experienced inter- German international defender to make. I mean, Tim, you. You sit in the stands and see a perspective that we can't see on TV. You see more of the pitch. And so, you know, perhaps you see problems in the way we are set up that, that hang Mustafi out to dry and hang the back four out to dry. And I, look, I, I can certainly see some of those, even with my limited perspective on the TV screen. But am I being overly harsh on Mustafi? I mean, is it simply that he and Kashelny are being asked to cover too much space and inevitably they're going to be made to look bad? Or is, or is he just playing poorly? There's a little bit of both. Um, since we have gone back to the back four, you remember Big Sam's uh, fantastic tactical plan that he was really shy and circumspect about sharing with everyone um, after we lost at Selhurst Park last year, where he just kind of said, yeah, I just kept hitting that space behind the fullbacks because they pushed the fullbacks up so high. Well, since we've gone back to a back four, you know, teams are doing that again because um, <clears throat> it's not exactly an issue that's gone away. And it's exactly what Newcastle did. And it's what, West Ham looked to do and Arnautovic just kept pulling off into that into that little area where he wasn't really, really out wide, but, um, you know, back into that kind of half space again. And he created confusion about who should be picking him up and, you know, kind of because Koscielny hasn't quite got the same recovery pace he used to. Um, so th- th- they are a little bit exposed, yes. But um, also, I-, I think the thing is with Mustafi, basically... He, he kind of always takes um, the path of most resistance. Um, he basically, he will always elect to throw himself into the tackle or throw himself into the header or like he fully commits to everything he does. And that's why when it comes off, it looks great. And when it doesn't, it looks absolutely dreadful. Basically, he rolls the dice every time. Um, and that that's just the impression I get. I just every time I see something unfolding, I think, yeah, three, two, one, he's going to launch himself. And it's just a case of whether he gets the timing right or not. Um, and, you know, you saw that with the with the tackle you referenced earlier on Arnautovic. He got that one right, albeit he was a bit slow to kind of cover for his mate Koscielny there. Um but yeah, he, he he just looks like a real roll-the-dice defender to me, and it's just 50-50, and it's either going to end in absolute disease. You know, it's a death-or-glory move every time. Right. Um, you know, he, do, he doesn't have that kind of, you know, clean, like, interception or, you know, reading the space or, you know, putting his foot on the ball or, you know, the, the, the famous kind of Bobby Moore tackle keeping your shorts clean type thing it's it's always yeah it's it's always a gamble basically yeah. with Mustafi and and I I guess what I would say to you is sometimes you have to gamble like the situation where he goes in yeah. on Arnautovic in the box that's a good yeah, decision I mean you don't want to yeah. wind up in that situation but once you're in that situation that's fine I yeah. just feel that those you know all or nothing toss of a coin kind of moves where if it doesn't come off you're you're done you're out of the play I think those are lazy decisions. I think they are decisions not to want to run and and uh, duel and uh, grapple with someone and really have to exert the kind of physicality it takes to defend on your feet. I think it's I think it's just cheap and lazy. You know, it, I'm yeah. going to dive in, and if I get it, this situation's cleared, and if I don't, it's not. But I don't have to run with this guy and body this guy off the ball, and you know, have to continue this defensive engagement. And do you know um, who who he should have a chat with about that is Granite Jacker, because that's exactly what Granite Jacker was doing, um, or he was just fouling people or lunging in, and something he's gotten much much better at. I know he got booked in this game, but he's actually some he, so he ch- he chooses much better when to do that, and he actually doesn't do it nearly as often as he used to. He's gotten much better at shepherding, at just yeah. taking a step back. 
and being in the right space. And whether that gives some hope for Mustafi or not, um, I don't know. Maybe it does. Maybe this is just the type of player Mustafi is. And, you know, that David Luiz comparison I always make. David Luiz is 31 and he's exactly the same player. So um, maybe it's the same for Mustafi. Maybe it's something he can be taught. And again, it's a case of was Granit Xhaka taught to be a bit more circumspect or did he, you know, teach himself? Um, I don't know. There's lots of questions there. But um, yeah, I, I think I think a conversation with Granit Xhaka or whatever Granit Xhaka did to start to get that out of his game is something Mustafi should really be looking at. Yeah, who, by the way, I don't think he was the star of this game, and we don't need to spend a lot of time talking about him, but he has improved. His form has improved. He's back to a little more of the guy that we were feeling good about at the end of last season yeah. than the guy we thought I just thought had he to was be. super. Yeah. Yeah, I, no, yeah, I, I agree. Best player. Yeah. I thought he did a really good game. Yeah, I mean, Paul, do you want to expand on that? No, I just thought his, his positioning was generally good. I thought his covering was good. I thought his passing was good. He kept us ticking along. He gave us some rhythm. His, you know, his distribution from deep was pretty good. Uh, he was not the problem. I mean, it's nice to be able to find one area in the pitch where you can say, well, that wasn't the problem, and that was the one area of the pitch that was not the problem. Okay, so let's talk about an area of the pitch that was the problem. Paul, I'll let you start with this. Uh, Alex Wobey, he, yeah. he is scuffling. And I, I mean, yeah. I I do not like to write players off. <laughs> Who am I kidding? I love to write players off. Um, yeah. But I mean, I think we are kind of doing a typical Arsenal thing. I think if this was a player at Chelsea or Spurs or United or City, we'd be like, man, that guy's garbage. And he'd wind up at Bournemouth and no one about an eyelash. And I think I realize that age is an issue, but I think something we do when a young player breaks into the Arsenal team and he gets a lot of playing time at a young age. We cut him all the slack in the world for his shortcomings because he's young and see all the good things he can do as a sign that he will be a superstar because if he can do those things at 18, 19, imagine how great he'll be at 26. The problem is sometimes that player just is that player. And I know Tim is going to say when it is his turn to say this that you know final balls and finishing and stuff like that comes at a later age, and I totally acknowledge that. But we have done this before with young players you know, you can think of the the Carling Cup teams of days gone by, and you know whether it was uh, Carlos Vela or who was the midfielder we had, English midfielder, um, that was a big fan favorite for a while, right on the edge of the team. Jack um, Wilshire. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> Touche. Uh, no, I can't. I cannot even remember his name, but he was he was one that everybody said was going to be great. And J. Emmanuel Thomas, and these are guys. David Bentley. Uh, no, but and to be fair, none of those guys were really ever in the squad the way the way Iwobi has been. But I just think when a young player gets a lot of playing time, we we cut him slack because of his age, and we just project because he's playing at that age that he must be spectacular. So, I mean that that's a long way of saying nothing. Why don't you say something about Alex Iwobi? <laughs> Uh, well, he didn't have much of a good game. It seems to me, I mean, he needs another reference player on there for him to work how to play off. And, and you know, Welbeck is his own kind of bit of chaos machine. Lacazette's kind of quiet and, and subtle and doing some good things. Don't get me wrong. But uh, not, not that player that really kind of gives him a reference that he knows to key off his movements. So it was basically him trying to feel his way with Ramsey in kind of the 10 spot. And uh, Ramsey isn't, uh, as we kind of said, he's more midfield. So I think it was quite, for a player who's blowing hot and cold and more cold than hot at the moment, certainly not surprising um, given the kind of the bit of funk that came with this game that he struggled in this. The question will be if he plays against Atleti, uh, will he struggle there now? there's a good chance he won't start uh, if Ozil's fully fit. But if he does, my concern with them is even if he's in some kind of form on the day because his job is more focused and the, the, the problem more defined, his tendency is to bring us, to attack the center, to bring us into the center, to run at their box, which is exactly what uh, Atletico expects uh, and demands and brings about so you know if they sit back a little bit the one place we're going to really struggle at is if we try and one two our way through the middle 
which we, being Arsenal will give a good go to, and and Iwobi is the player who will double down on it. So he'll be need to be in some heck of a bit of form for his usual approach to do anything for us on Thursday, especially given he's out of form a little bit. You know, the bigger picture with him, um, he's a weird player. I agree. I, I don't know how many other teams <laughs> I see him fitting into and making a big contribution, big or small, in the league. Well, well what do you um, do with a player who doesn't have the engine to be a central midfielder and doesn't have the speed of thought or end product to really be a forward. I mean, he is he is a linking kind of player. He's he's sort of Alex Leb light. Is that fair? Is it fair to say that? Or is that a, yeah, a misrepresentation? Uh, but good good quick feet. Maybe doesn't do enough with it. I think he's a he's a one-dimensional Alex Kleb. Uh, I thought Alex Kleb was a one-dimensional Alex Kleb. <laughs> well, he had a lot of movement around the pitch. Yeah. He wasn't always the guy who made a beeline kind of to the to the penalty spot or to the goal. I mean, he, he would drag the game around the place. Uh, I'm being a, maybe a little bit generous on him and a little bit harsh on Iwobi, but I really get the feeling, how many times have we seen him just try and ram it up the middle through one-twos? Um and the more into a rut he goes or the more he loses his his confidence, the more he does that. Whereas you take a, a Kleb or a Rosicki and they will they'll drag the the game into interesting corners in interesting places and expand the game, uh, which I think is what we're going to need against somebody like Atletico Madrid. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody like Rosicki. Uh, ne- neither of these players, none of these players we're talking about are truly wingers. Uh, but Rosicki will bring you into interesting areas of the pitch. He'll look at space. He'll look where he'll go to that area where he can cause the most trouble. That's not really what Iwobi does. He takes the ball and he fucking runs at you and he'll try and out one to you. Um, and against okay or decent opposition, there'll be enough space to ping it through and one two, and the ball will pop out to somebody in a dangerous spot in, in the penalty area. And mm-hmm. I don't think that's going to work on Thursday. All right, Tim, the, man- the manager you love and adore has just announced he's retiring. <laughs> Tap into that somber energy and really get stuck into a well before me. <laughs> well, I mean, so the thing is, at the moment, um, I, do, I think it be, he's almost reminding me of Chamberlain in that he's, he's just hugely inconsistent. Um, it was only a couple of weeks ago we were talking about um, a, a really, really good performance where he had two assists. Um, is it as I easy as he just can't play on the right for some reason? I mean, is it that I, simple? I definitely don't think that's that's his strong place. I definitely think he's far better on the left. But, you know, we have had seen him have, have this kind of game on the left as well. I think what was, what was um, you know, and I, I've... I've think I've tried to explain and maybe they're just a list of excuses but um what why I think he struggled in the structure of the team and the job he's been asked to do is a job you'd usually ask a more mature player I'm not sure that, that was the case yesterday and, and and yesterday actually he just got a lot of the basics wrong um fairly simple passes his touch was it was like there was a mole in the ground every time the ball came near him um with it was like Theo like um some of his touches at times so but but you know the other the other week he had he had an absolutely brilliant game. Um, Paul and, is seething at that comment, by the way. <laughs> I'm and, letting uh, it go. <laughs> and I, I mean, I think the thing is, he's he's just looking very very inconsistent. Probably more bad than good at the moment. And you know, I I do think it's it's kind of on the knife edge whether he'll um, go on to be an Arsenal player in the long term, particularly with a new manager. Um, a, a new manager might decide to not impressed by that at all and get rid. I suspect whoever the new manager is might just give him a year or two and see what he turns into. Because and and listen, I, I totally take the point that you can't wait around forever, kind of seeing if this will happen. But you know, someone like Jesse Lingard, who's like 25 and didn't didn't really start to put together any end product till he was 23. I, I think the thing is with the young players, right? So. I a bit like it would be a bit like Maitland Niles. The way I evaluate them, um, and because I think a good way of building a squad is to buy your first eleven in the transfer market, and then fill out your squad spots with academy players, which is what Ferguson did for so many years. Uh, so well, he got that golden generation, 
Everton, which, let's face it, there's a lot of luck when you get that many good players come through at, at, at once. Um, you know, it's, it's like trying to handcuff lightning, um, bringing through that many players at the same time. It just, it, it usually happens through luck, which is why they're called golden generations and they don't come along all the time. But what Ferguson did really well after that was, um, you know, United didn't develop many Beckhams and Giggses and Skulls, but they developed a hell of a lot of O'Shea's and Browns and Fletchers. And that's kind of how I'm looking. I'm looking at Arsenal's youth setup at the moment, which seems to have lots of promising players. And I'm not looking at them thinking, um, you know, I hope that we get like another Sesk out of it or something like that, or even another Bellerin. But I'm looking at them more and thinking, you know, those are good squad spots. Um, you know, these are these are guys who can who can sit on the bench and rotate in and rotate out and play the cup games and and you know save us a bit of money, maybe a bit of salary. And when you you know perhaps with a different manager now, this is this is more viable. You can coach them to do different things, to play different roles, which is again what Ferguson did. And um, and you know with the Wobi, it could go either way. It could it could just be that he can't really play anywhere consistently. It could be that with a bit of coaching and guidance, we get a squad player who can play left wing, right wing, number 10, and maybe when he's a bit older and um, you know physically improved as number eight as well. It, it really could go either way. I think it's total knife edge. I, I completely take your point. I don't think... I think the only other club in the top six that might have had some patience with him would be United because of their kind of tradition with youth whether that's the case under Mourinho I'm not sure Chelsea you know what I was saying about filling out your your squad spots with youth players that is exactly what Chelsea should be doing at the moment they've thrown tens of millions at young players and they farmed them all out on loan and then they go and spend millions of pounds on absolute muck like Drinkwater and Barkley and all these rubbish squad players that just aren't good enough when they've pumped loads of and loads of investment into some good young players who then can't even get on the bench for some reason and um yeah so that, that was a bit of a ramble but um just a I, bit. I think basically basically with Awobi it's totally on a knife edge and it's totally up to him he could be, I don't think he'll ever be like a top draw starting eleven player for us. I don't think that's quite in him. But whether he can become a high value squad player is up to him, and that's it's up to him to sort things out like consistency, technique, confidence. Um, because on his good days, there's really something there. Um, it's just a case of how often he can show it. Yeah, and I think your point. Can I? I, I mean, I? you you started. What am I going to do now? Go with it. I was just going to quickly say, it seemed like mostly Ferguson used the academy to, not entirely by any means, but he filled out a lot of the boring spots in a team with the academy, uh, kind of centre-backs, uh, kind of uh, defensive midfielders, those kinds of guys. O'Shea, Fletcher it, it is kind of a mould. Um, uh, Chris Smalling, etc., etc. I mean, I mean, not exclusively, but we exclusively seem to bring through flair attacking players or, you know, the attacking midfielders, etc. And that's a really tough ask. That's where you want, you know, that's where you have to go find real talent out there. And I just think and, it's a very and difficult the hit rate, model. The hit rate's lower because a mediocre yeah. defender in a really organized system can still get by, but a mediocre attacking midfielder. Either he can play at the top end of the game or he can't. So I, I take your point. Yeah, one one you can train to more than the other. I, I think Tim's point about the golden generation is really important, and all you have to do is look at Spurs and see their current golden generation and all the trophy. The well, the title. Well, the t no, I no, I guess they've won fuck all. Okay, cool. Um, so well, let's let's get to the part of the game that was kind of exciting. I mean, Nacho Monreal gets a goal and. Yay for him, and I think we touched on Granit Xhaka, who's excellent. I mean, by the way, 109 passes at 91%. This is a guy who two months ago was passing at 68% in games. I don't understand what changed, but thank God it has. Um, but Obama Yang comes on, and the game totally changes, and we score three goals. And I think even as much as he is not a winger, and even as much as you know, we, we want him to play center forward, just his directness and his movement 
like he's shot out of a cannon. I think this contrasts, you know, so clearly with Awobi. And, you know, this is why if you're a new manager and you're looking at someone like Danny Welbeck and Alex Awobi, you might think that Awobi has more talent in him, but Danny Welbeck does things right now that improve a team. He runs very fast. He's very strong. He can jump in the air. Alex Awobi really only improves you if he gets to the level of a game that he's not at yet. And I think sometimes as a manager, you have to say, if this player never improves from where they are now, are they good enough for my team? And I think you can use a Danny Welbeck if he never improves from where he is now. I don't know that you can with Awobi, and that's, that's a challenge. But Aubameyang comes on, he adds that directness. And, you know, I think the upshot of it is, obviously, that it gets Lacazette two goals. And, and Paul, you alluded to the benefit that could have for Thursday. But just really quickly, Paul, I mean, your thoughts on Aubameyang not getting to play center forward but still making a huge impact in his class just sort of being clear whenever he's on the pitch. Yeah, and you know, a massive credit to him just in terms of his general generosity. I mean, it's kind of a sucky half a season he's blowing away for no good reason. Yeah, good um, Yeah, I mean, it's kind of low value for him. And, you know, maybe he's just being a tourist in London and getting to play at the Arsenal. But, um, you know, he's, he could obviously be taking this quite badly. He's sitting on the bench before he comes on. He still comes on and contributes. I mean, he's not treating it like a tourist because the reality is when he comes on, he, uh, he does contribute. He finds, a, you know, he finds a pocket for himself. He makes the runs. Um, and to do that, it's not just about running around. To do that, you have to be mentally switched on to what's going on on the field because you're coming on late. Uh, so I think he gets a lot of credit. Footballing-wise, you know, um, there is something beautiful about watching him play, that Thierry that Henry, um, the, the, his change of gears, the, the grace, the movement, the speed, the space he creates with one touch, etc., uh, that the guy just seems to have tremendous class that we're only beginning to tap into and makes you excited for next year if we can get the right coach and get ourselves sorted in the summer and get a few good players in. Certainly. But, yeah, I mean, he's he's certainly the cherry on, on the second half of this season. Yeah, and it, it is a shame in a way that he comes in and looks so exciting and really has nothing to play for. I mean, Tim, have you been as excited by him uh, as I have certainly to see him playing for Arsenal. And what do you think of his uh, cameo on Sunday? Yeah, 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 I have been. And, and like you, I just think it sucks that he's playing in so many games of almost no consequence. I mean, Can, can I just stop you for one second and make one quick point? I mean, the only sure. upshot of it I guess you could make is how many big money signings get to come in with virtually no pressure on them and adapt, yeah, yeah. adapt to a league in an environment where no one's going to judge you based on how you play for your first six months. I mean, granted, he's, he's yeah. at the age where you don't want to waste any of his playing time, but it, it is a very good way to integrate him with very low stakes. Absolutely, yeah. And he, he does look like, largely, he's you know having a bit of fun um, almost. You're, you're right. It's almost, it's almost like um, kind of like an extended preseason. Yeah. Um, I don't know, which, which hopefully come August. And, you know, he's not going to the World Cup or anything, so... Um, hopefully will do us really, really well for next season. We're still trying to work out his... I mean, well, sorry, he, he looks like he's already got a really good working relationship with Lacazette. How exactly we um, we provide for it in a formational sense, it doesn't really look like the managers work that out and it's probably not his problem anymore. So, um, uh, you know, I, it's, I'm still... I was still disappointed to see him come on on the left wing. I, I don't... I don't know what we've got to lose really by putting him and Lacazette through the middle um, together. I don't, if we were a team that had like a good shape or structure and you think, Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll lose that shape or structure. If we do that, I, I don't really think we have. So I don't think there's an awful, you know, obviously there is like in the modern game, there is a bit of a downside to having two strikers, but I don't really think there is for Arsenal because I don't think we have much kind of structure or shape anyway. So um, I, I didn't. I still don't really understand the absolute reluctance. I suppose on this occasion, um, you'd say, you know, he's trying to prepare his players for the game on Thursday, which is why Aubameyang was on the bench in the first place, and he didn't want to dis- disrupt that structure. And I suppose that's a satisfying explanation if that's what it is, but. 
yeah, I, I'm, I've been really, really pleased with what I've seen. He's just taken to it so quickly. He looks so natural, so relaxed. That relaxed um, part, absolutely. I mean, that, that's the thing that strikes yeah. me is he just – he just seems – I know it's a nothing pass that he gives to Lacazette for Lacazette's first goal, but just for a number nine in that position to just decide I'm going to lay it off to this guy who's in a better position, I mean, it, you just have to be very composed and relaxed to do that. Yeah, he, he had a very similar assist for Mkhitaryan. Was it against Watford a few weeks ago? Like, sure. Very, very similar. Like very almost nonchalant laid the ball back, and I'm really – enjoying that kind of unselfish streak in him as well um and he's you know he's looking like a a real team player um which which is hugely positive i just you know i i can't wait to see him next season basically is is what i think i'd say there yeah and and i mean look every game matters because we all die and you never know when we're going to die and so if this is the last game tim got to watch because he's going to die tomorrow and i'm really sorry about that Tim. um (laughs) you know it's okay to enjoy this stuff it doesn't have to have meaning beyond just the enjoyment the entertainment you take from one game paul uh uh final thoughts on Aubameyang? yeah i mean if we're looking for silver linings um what he's done is shown himself to be you know how many how often has a player not translated to the premier league so he's kind of set a marker out there for an incoming manager for sven and the boys to have confidence to build their summer plans around him i mean he's come i mean it's good for his personal confidence it's good for the overall direction of the team to have a roadmap to say yeah okay he's the real deal he's whatever 28 going on 29 uh, he can deliver uh, he's clearly got two or three great years left in him. He's he's he looks as fast, as elegant, as skillful, as effective here. This guy could really tear th- things up. Right? What are the players working from a y- Obama Yang backwards that we need to add to the mix to build around him next year? So it just it'll add. It, it might add that extra bit of uh, mojo to our summer dealings because well, we know. I think it also raises the specter of whether you have to sell Lacazette to bring in enough money to buy the really dynamic wide forward that we might need to get the absolute best out of Aubameyang. But that's a topic for another day. So It is. But at least if you're going to do it, you can move with – whatever you're going to do, you you can move with more confidence if yes, you've seen the guy show up, yep. play, and deliver. Absolutely. And look – you know, as advertised in another league, this guy is delivered in our league. So before we finish um, with this game, do you, do you want to quickly wax lyrical about the the last goal we scored though? Because I thought that was the pick of the bunch, and Ramsey's uh, touch and control and movement in the box was brilliant. The way he picks out Lacazette is fantastic, and then it's it's a, a striker's finish. Did you enjoy that one the most of the group? Uh, yeah, it, it the movement was great. Um, just watching it here. That's the last nice, goal, uh, right? That's the fourth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for the 4-1. So Ainsley Maitland-Niles has a nice little contribution early on to get that going because he was kind of a bit, he was a bit of a slow burner in this when I wasn't quite sure about his contribution. Always glad to see him on, but hadn't really delivered. But he gets it up to Obama Yang, who, who shifts it out to Ramsey. Ramsey cut back. I think Lacazette did really well, certainly in terms of getting position, moving the ball past the defender. Um, Might have done a little better on the shot to give... Um, Joe Hart, no chance instead of some chance, but let's face it, a lot of striker goals are are uh, are just about hitting it low and hard and getting it in. So, but really nice movement up through the middle. They did by then they were giving us a little bit of space and we just plundered them for it. Ramsey did really well getting around the back. So kind of Ramsey was uh, really classy really, with his touch in the box there, and he well, does well yeah. to pick out Lacazette. I mean, Tim, I. I kind of think the more I watch Lacazette, that this is a player who needs a, a wide player or another forward or another runner who yep. gets beyond him and that he yep. thrives on pullbacks, that he, he's really yep. good at taking up positions in the box and latching onto pullbacks and finishing confidently on those. And that's where we've seen him really thrive. So that Ramsey to, to Lacazette combination is kind of from the position you'd expect Mkhitaryan to take up. In the absence of Mkhitaryan going into the athletic tie, is there a player you like to kind of take up those positions and, and maybe is it Welbeck's responsibility if they are playing together to just surge forward, get, in, get into the deepest positions, make, make the most advanced runs and, and yeah. look for Lacazette and pullback? Yeah, 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 I, I think so. I mean, you know, Lacazette had a massive goal drought when Ramsey was injured and I think that tells you a lot. I mean, I... I'm not convinced that Lacazette is really suited to playing 
a lone striker role. I I agree with you. I think he I think he needs a partner. Um, too bad we haven't got one for him. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, I, I think that will be well. Beck's you job. can't play think... two up front, by the way. I don't know if you know that. There's a rule: you cannot play two up front. <laughs> but I, I think you're right. I think that will be Welbeck's job. I think that's why Welbeck's played. You know, the last few games on that kind of um, on that wide wide right or wide left role. Um, and I, actually, I think he did that quite well yesterday. Um, he didn't quite have the finish, but he was he was kind of when the ball was over on the other side, he was getting into the box and supporting Lacazette. Um, quite well. There was like a chest down for Montreal. There was a header in the first half, which you know, it being well back, he got it a bit wrong. <laughs> Even though his positioning was very good on that back post, he had a couple of curling shots. Um, you know, he he looks he looks pretty dangerous um, actually coming in off that left hand side. But I I think you're right. I think what we missed is it's kind of fine when the ball's about to come into the box. But I I really I just think Lacazette needs someone quite close to him like all the time because he always it kind of reminds me of when we used to play Podolski up front you know and he always used to look to come away and do those short kind of bump off passes but on his own it just it just didn't really work it just left us a little bit bare when we went through the middle it's it's kind of it's fine when the ball's out wide but when we're trying to build through the middle I don't think it quite works um, and I don't really know how we work that out um, particularly without Mkhitaryan, I'm not. I'm not really sure we've got the player in there um, to do it, and that is actually something that worries me about the Atleti tie. I, you know, with their defence, I think they might find that quite easy to marshal. To be honest with you, and uh, I don't know the answer for for how we get around it, short of um, sticking, I don't know, like a pair of funny glasses and a moustache on a Bamiyang. Maybe that will fool you over. <laughs> I, I mean, know. we've tried the uh, uh, for, for getting to register players for the Champions League. Maybe we do yeah. the opposite and register an ineligible player and see if they notice. Yeah, <laughs> give him like the 144 squad number or something. Yeah. They'll, they'll never know. They'll never know. Let, let me stay with you for a second, Tim. I, I think the manager has a real tough set of decisions on his hand for this tie. And mm. um, let's assume for a minute the Mesodosal is fine. He's just being given, yeah. you know, another day off. Which, by the way, I don't know why they don't feel comfortable just saying he's rested for the athletic tie. Like, I, you know, I don't know why yeah, they yeah. have to say he has the flu. I mean, maybe he does have the flu, but hey, come on, just t- tell us you rested him. It's fine. Um, he's played a ton of Premier League minutes, by the way. It's not like he doesn't play. But do you think Maitland-Niles did well enough in this cameo that he would be in the frame for selection. I mean, Wilshire has not impressed, to say the least, and he's potentially injured. Mm. Mkhitaryan is not available. Awobi has looked bad, especially on the right. So you start to do the math in your head, and if it's Shaka Ramsey in the middle and Ozil at the 10, and it's, mm. you know, it's, or you, you want to play Ozil as one of the forwards, I should say, does Maitland Niles maybe get a shout to make up one of the three in midfield, or, or do you think that's just too much to ask? I think that's probably too much to ask at this stage. He's he's still a little bit loose with the ball. Um, he's he's almost too confident and a bit too relaxed on the ball, which I'm kind of fine with in a young player. I'd rather a young player was kind of too relaxed than too nervous. But is it maybe um, nervousness masquerading but, as being relaxed, like where he just he freezes maybe. up a little? It takes an extra beat for him to make a decision. Maybe I, I don't actually get that impression because quite often he'll do like the hard bit and then <laughs> then he'll like relax it. There was there was this this kind of part which I thought really summed him up um, where he he did this like lovely you know the Ronaldo chop thing and it brilliantly got him past the player through two West Ham midfielders totally off balance really opened the pitch up for him. And then he just messed up the easiest pass. It was like he, yeah. he relaxed a bit too much. Oxley Chamberlain used to do something similar. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I, I think that was more because he kind of he's a very um, kick and rush player, which um, you know, which has its uses. But yeah, sometimes if you're looking for a calm decision, it, it's not always great. So I, I think that's a bit of a step too far for Maitland Niles. I, you know, I, with the form Wilshire's in and his fitness and stuff, I, I would really worry about him playing. I'm not sure we have a lot of choice if Elnen is out. And actually, I, I mean, I've said this many times. I, I, I think Wilshire appears to have any future in midfield at the top level. He has to play almost like a deep lying playmaker. 
and he has to sit and he has to stay quite disciplined. Um, and if he did that, then, you know, maybe, maybe that's a bit better. That, that I think would certainly suit him more than the position we've been playing him in recently in the front three, where I, I don't just don't think that really suits him at all. But do you mean next to Shaka now. so you can have the two yeah. least mobile players in the history of humanity well, yeah. protecting your back four? Yeah, but at the same time, if if there's two of them, it's better, it's better than one. But, <laughs> Touche. Um, but you know, with with El Nenny, his his kind of defensive numbers aren't great anyway. So yeah, he is quite mobile. But I think El Nenny's mobility is useful when you've got the ball. When you haven't got the ball, um, you know, he's not exactly running around crashing into tackles or making interceptions. Like his his defensive contribution is his defensive contribution is that he keeps the ball. Basically, um, his defensive contribution off the ball is not fantastic. And I think Jack could perhaps do a working impression of that. Um, uh, that I think that might be the best we can hope for. It's, I mean, I, it's I have a hard time thinking conundrum. he would do it. Well, so, is, Paul, yeah. real quick, I mean, to me, I look at it this way and I say, we don't really want to play Jack. We don't really feel we can trust to play Awobi. We need to be more solid defensively. We want to look at other big games and cup competitions we've been effective in. For example, beating City in the semifinal of the FA Cup last season, beating Chelsea in the final of the FA Cup last season. Why not a back three? You you get Mustafi into the center of, of three defenders where he is better. You get your width from the, fo- the wing backs because we don't really have natural width anyway. Now you can play Shaka and Ramsey, who dominated midfield in the semi- semifinal and final last season. You can play Ozil. Welbeck and Lacazette. You don't have to use a Wobie. You don't have to use Wilshire. You don't have to worry as much about being open. And yes, you may not have enough to play through Atleti with that, but if you don't let them get the away goal, you still go to Madrid knowing we can sucker punch them with a goal and go through here. I mean, it, am I crazy to think that that is the best and most obvious solution for dealing with this tie? So I might have poo-pooed that um, a couple of weeks ago when we had more options, more on the basis that we just wouldn't than we couldn't or shouldn't. And we also we know we haven't played it in recent times except for when El Nenny's kind of done, a, done it on an improv basis. But if I were the manager, I'd be strongly, uh, as we've talked about the conundrum in midfield. Let me stop you for a second. We uh, did do it. To restore the tie, to, to save the tie against Cheska, Seska, whatever, right? I mean, we dropped El yeah. in briefly, but then we did make the switch. And when we went to the back yeah. three, we lit them up. That's when we, you know, El Neni got pushed yeah. forward and we, we dominated them from there. Yeah, uh, I mean, it just doesn't feel very good matchup this Thursday. See, if I'm at Letico, I'm probably feeling pretty confident about our ch- their chances of coming to the Emirates against our current lineup in the state we're in, uh, with the whole kind of center and front in flux. And the only part of our team that's solid from selection is defense, but it's not actually, it's as poor as, as heck. So I'd be strongly tempted to say, all right, we're going to three of the back. I might even play Maitland Niles as the left wing back, give us some pace and some cover against uh, Griezmann if he wanders out that way, Bellerin on the other side. Um, and Chaka and Ramsey as the two. And, uh, you know, pick your best three up front, whatever he fancies out of Ozil, Lacazette, uh, Iwobi, and Welbeck. So, uh I think it's probably going to be our strongest lineup. And I, as you were advocating on the Twitters, you know, zero zero at home would not be the worst uh, result. I would take it because especially if Mkhitaryan can come back for the away leg, it gives you some flexibility in how to be a little more dynamic if you need that goal. And I mean, at nil nil, winner draw away from home, and uh, and we're in business. And there's so many advantages to that. You know, if it's if it's nil nil at the end of regulation, full you know full time in the away leg too, you get 30 more minutes to score an away goal. I mean, you get 120 minutes to score an away goal in that situation. And you know, it's the fact that they can be up one nil until the 89th minute then in the away leg, and you get a you know a freak corner kick and and someone you know Koscielny gets his head to it and it bounces in and suddenly they're out. I just I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying nil-nil is, is the ideal score, but I'm saying given our our circumstances, I think you want to make sure you don't concede the away goal. And Tim, I I look at this and I'm like, look, we beat the two best teams in England with the back three last season when 
we weren't a good team. We weren't. And mm. we secured the Seska tie by switching to the back three. And it's the only lineup that keeps our weakest players off the pitch. I, I mean, there's no lineup that keeps Mustafi yeah. off the pitch, unfortunately. But, they, it, you know, it's the only one that keeps our weakest players off the pitch. And then in addition to that, you know, you, you look at it and you say, all right, well, maybe it's not attacking enough for the home leg. Well, I'm sorry, but do you really think that bringing a Wobie or Jack Wilshire in is going to add mm. the kind of end product or directness that's going to make us that much more attacking against Atleti, who are so comfortable defending? I... I feel like given the personnel we have, we don't have the luxury of thinking, let's go out and be buccaneering, because none of those other guys, Iwobi, Wilshire, Maitland-Niles, any of the guys you name, make us that much more uh, scary from the attacking standpoint. So, I mean, is there any mm. argument in your mind for sticking with the back four here? Um, I, I mean, I, I think my personal preference uh, would be to go with, with the back three. I, I, don't, I don't think he will, and I understand just because he's not really done it, not from the start of a game for quite a while, but I agree with you. I, I mean, I so I, I think it's the shape that best suits our squad at the moment. You know, I'm not, I'm not absolutely mad, like, evangelist for the back three or anything. I, I just think it suits the most amount of players we've got. We don't have any natural width. We don't have any you know, proper wide forwards, particularly with Mkhitaryan not available. Um, so I think having wing backs is at least, um, you know, a three quarter answer to that solution. It's not perfect, but, um, you know, it gets Ramsey and Jacka in, in midfield and we know they can play together. It gets, you know, wing backs in. I think then you can have Welbeck and Ozil behind Lacazette and you can play Welbeck. Welbeck's kind of, He's um, he's savvy enough to be able to you know be a wide forward when he needs to be a number ten when he needs to be to drop in and be an extra midfielder when he needs to be he's you know he's he's kind of good enough to do that so um, and and yeah I agree with you you know look look at what we did against Chelsea um, in the League Cup where we went with three at the back at Stamford Bridge completely shut them out got the nil nil. Um, and I agree with you I think nil nil would be a fine result I think anything. That turns anything into a one-off game for Arsenal um, is is a good thing. Um, I, I think you know nil-nil basically turns the second leg into a one-off game over ninety minutes. But if we draw, we go through effectively. So um, yeah, every know, I, every I non-loss think... outcome is okay for us yeah. if we get a nil-nil in exactly. the first leg. Um, yeah, I think yeah, it puts precisely. pressure on Atletico right from the get-go because if they yeah. show up. And we keep it tight, and we're basically saying, this is going to be a low-scoring game, guys. We're fine if it's 0-0. Zero, zero. You're going to have to come at us a little bit. Then we may find our attacking options are suddenly kind of attractive. And, you know, you, we're not against winning 1-0. It, it kind of, it'll ask them questions right from the get-go. And yep. if we can get out of the Emirates with a 0-0 zero, zero or better, um, then... I don't th think there's a scarier proposition for a team than going home for a second leg where the first leg was nil-nil. I don't think there's yep. a scary problem. Because you could say, oh, well, what about losing 4-0? That's not scary, right? That's not scary. You're not expected to go through. You go home and you're like, well, we'll just all out attack and hope for the best. And we've seen in the Champions League that crazy things can happen because the team that has the big lead is scary. I mean, what we did to Ostersunds, what we did to AC Milan, and what we did to Seska. We kind of shit the bed in the second legs of all of those ties because we were nervous. Give them something but to when protect. you're going home with a nil-nil, knowing that an away goal can knock you out, even if you've scored, like it's a very touch-and-go situation for the home team there, and I, I, I don't think that's bad. So, Paul, I mean, do you think it'll be Petr Cech? I hope so. Isn't that what... Uh, I mean, uh, I didn't follow too much of the, the buzz, but... Um, he seemed nice and rested up in the stands. Isn't that why he wasn't playing? I mean, why do you play Ospina in the league and then uh, play him again uh, in the the Europa League? So I hope so, and I think so. But maybe I missed something. Tim, do you have any opinion on the keeper situation? I, I think I heard that he had a bit of a hip injury. But yeah, I, I think it's really interesting. I think, um, I think Petr Cech's going to play. And I think Wenger, particularly now Wenger's leaving... Um, the whole 
oh, you lied to me, you bastard thing. <laughs> that, gives a shit. That, exactly, like, that's all off. And I, by the I way, he Wenger's, shouldn't have given a shit to begin with, but okay, fine. No, no, no. But I think then the reason he's always done it is because it's like, well, okay, yeah, in the short term, I stiff my goalkeeper and say, yeah, you know that, I'll give you all the cup games. Ha ha, sorry, you're on the bench. Um, because he's thinking of the long term and he's thinking, yeah, all right, short term, that's okay. But long term, I completely lose their trust and they hate me forever and, you know, the relationship breaks down and my coaching is dependent on my having a good relationship with my players. But now, all bets are off. So, you know, quite frankly, he's leaving. Espina's probably going to leave as well. So, why not? Fuck it, yeah. Um, so, he's, still, yeah. he's still getting to play. You know, yeah, 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 exactly. The old switcheroo, so. He's, pl- he's yeah. playing all the all the Aubameyang preseason games, yeah. Um, so, all right, let's, let's just do predictions then. Um... Uh, Tim, what are you what are you expecting? Is by the way, is Cost Cost is out, right? Didn't they announce he that? He is. He is. Yeah. So is one friend. I'm gonna go for two one to Arsenal. Paul. Fuck. I have absolutely no clue what's going to happen. <laughs> no idea. Uh, I'm going for two two. I'll say two one Natletti. Unfortunately. Um, you know, the thing that scares me here is we've made it all the way to the semifinal of the Europa League without playing anybody that I think is really potentially any good at all. Um, and so to use anything we've seen in the Europa League up to this point as an indication of what to expect in this tie, I think is a mistake. I think you have to look more at the games we've played against good teams in the Premier League, and that hasn't gone so well. But, um, you know, why? <laughs> You just never know. You n- you never know with players who are underperforming domestically when they have something to actually shoot for, a trophy in sight. We saw it last year. They won the FA Cup, beating the two best teams in England along the way. So, uh, you know, hope springs eternal. It's also the hope that kills you, depending on which way you want to look at it. In any event, we will come uh, back with a podcast after that game. Hopefully it is a cauldron at the Emirates, a raucous environment. I think it should be. I think it will probably be a full house and, and a raucous full house at that. And, you know, if the team can get out to a hot start, maybe that will be enough to lift them. The, the fans can lift the players. The players can lift the fans. Anyway, uh, Tim's on Twitter at Stoberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Paul's on Twitter at Pause in My Pants. Thanks, Pause. My name's Elliot Smith. Leave us five-star review and write nasty things about Clive. Uh, I know it's hard to imagine that you could think of any nasty things to say about Clive, but do it. Uh, we'll, we'll get Scott back on. Uh, been a little tough to coordinate with him because of timing on my end and some on his end, but we'll get him back on, uh, hopefully, even after this first leg. Uh, I will be down in Florida visiting uh, family, uh, watching the game there. So the good news is I will be relaxed. I'll have my feet in the pool. I'll, I'll have a drink in my hand uh, and will still be apoplectic on Twitter, uh, cursing everybody up and down. Uh, so, yeah, we, uh, we appreciate you listening, and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10 at Bloody Nil. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.